Well, we are finishing up our study in 1 Thessalonians, but we'll continue in Thessalonians. We'll just jump right into the next letter uh, next week. Uh, we'll look at uh, 2 Thessalonians, but this week we're finishing up 1 Thessalonians. I'm very grateful to Isaac who preached uh, these past two Sundays on uh, some very challenging topics, both on what it means uh, to wait for the resurrection and as well what it means to wait for the coming of the Lord. They happen at the same time, but Paul broke it up into two sections and, uh, and Isaac faithfully pointed us to the hope of the day of the Lord. Um, and in that last bit of uh, 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 his section on the coming of the Lord, you'll remember that Paul had said, uh, listen, you were not destined for wrath, but you uh, have been called. You've been uh, predestined for salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have hope. And then Paul goes on at the very end of that section, say, because you have this hope, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. As we come to our section now, Paul is going to take that theme of encouragement and building one another up, and he's going to say, this is what I mean. I'm going to encourage you and help you grow up, to be built up into Christ. And so that's the section we're going to be looking at. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 to 28, the last section here, Paul's final words of encouragement to build up the Thessalonian church, and hopefully we too will be built up as we study this together. So with that, let's read God's word, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 to 28. You can follow along in your bulletins or your Bibles. Hear God's word. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, that the, the Thessalonian church shared this letter. Uh, And that we have it today to encourage our hearts and strengthen us. We thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. That you who began a good work will bring it to completion. Help us to find comfort in that truth, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know how it is in your household. um, 
But at ours, by the end of the week, mostly to my, my shame, but by the end of the week, the house is a bit of the wreck, a bit of a wreck. You know, it's pretty typical. We've been busy all week long. Uh, we're negligent. We leave stuff out. We don't put it away as we go. Um, there are our clothes, our books, our games, our all of our stuffs kind of strewn out. Um, uh, I think Erin is in Children's Church, but uh, she would attest to this um, this reality. And um, mostly, I'm to blame. Maybe the children a little bit, but that's how it is. And what happens at this moment, at the end of the day, there's a day of reckoning. It's a Saturday. I don't know what it is in your households, but it's the day of reckoning. And on this day, Aaron and I give each of the kids their marching orders. All right? Go off. And you're going to go off and you're going to do these things. Give them a list. And then they go off cheerfully and do it. (laughs) You all laugh because none of us go off cheerfully. right? Truth is, when we survey the house... When we look at the list of things to be done, when we see all the laundry that needs to be folded and put away, when we see that our beds need to be made and we need to clean our rooms and clean the bathrooms and in general clean up the whole house, it feels overwhelming. It feels like this big mountain. Um, Like it'll take all day. That's how I feel, not the kids. That's how I feel when when we come to it. Overwhelmed by the list. Now, I know some of you are list people. I'm not a list person, but some of you like the list because then you can check it off, right? You do that, you accomplish something, you feel accomplished. I look at a list and it looks like Mount Everest. just kind of looks like this tile of, pile of things that need to happen and impossible to scale that pile. But let me, let me say, I think that the Christian life can feel like this sometimes. As we read the law of God, we can recognize it as good. We can say, That's good. Honor God. Love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. and Love your neighbor as yourself. But even in that shortened form, we look at that and we say, who is able to do this? And even as we start, you know, some of us will say, well, I can, I'll love my neighbor today. I'm going to do it. Check it off the list. And then within like a few minutes, we have to erase the check mark. (laughs) Right? We get overwhelmed. The law says, do this and live. But we just can't. We get discouraged by it. Now, we know what the problem is, right? The niggling issue, the the heart issue, is that we're sinners. This is the real problem behind that, that no matter how hard we try, we can't do it and live. The law crushes us, right? Apart from the gospel of grace, we're undone. And it can be discouraging, even as Christians, even as those who've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, who've been forgiven, we still feel that weight sometimes. Well, this morning, we're going to look at one such list in the Apostle Paul. We're going to dwell on it and consider its implications for our lives. We're going to think about, going to kind of go step by step, sort of what he's encouraging and instructing. Um, and uh, as we come through that, you're going to kind of start to feel this, man, I just don't measure up feeling. At least I do when I come to lists like this. And, and, and Paul often will do this. But I don't want us to end there. We're not going to end there. We're going to turn from that point of going through that list. It'll take us some time. But then we're going to turn and we're going to look to God for help 
I think that's the way it ought to be. Hear God's commands. Recognize our weakness. Turn to God for help. And guess what? He promises to help. He promises to help. In fact, he promises that he will sanctify us, that he will make us completely holy and blameless at his coming. And that hope, that reality, ought to change our perspective on the list. Now we can say, okay, not in my strength, but Christ in me. So as we look at the text this morning, I don't want us to lose heart, but I want us to press on for our faithful God will bring us home. Don't lose heart, press on for our faithful God will bring us home. So first, press on the list. Uh, We're going to look at press on in a few ways. First, I want us to think about pressing on in peace. Okay, Pressing on in peace. Uh, This uh, little section, one commentator noted uh, that that you could take all these, this list, and sort of argue, he, he makes the argument that you can put it all under the rubric of Paul's encouragement to having peace within the body. Um, he says here in verses 12 and 13, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace amongst yourselves. And then there's a list of things. And then, In verse 23, the Apostle Paul says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And so this one commentator suggests that that this idea of peace is what sandwiches this whole thing together, that Paul is actually exhorting them uh, to live at peace. And this is the way that you can do it. You can be at peace amongst yourselves uh, through labor and not laziness by being at peace with those in authority over you, by being at peace by encouraging the faint-hearted and helping the weak. You can be at peace through patience, right? Um, By being patient with one another. Peace by not repaying evil with evil, but by doing good. You can be at peace through having joy and through prayer and thanksgiving. You can be at peace through walking in step with the Spirit and peace through heeding God's word and turning from evil. So, that, that was one commentator's look at, at this idea of pressing on in peace or, or encouragement to peace, that the whole thing can be summed up in this. But I want us to narrow it down a little bit. I want us to think about what it means to be at peace as we relate both to leadership in the church as well as we, how we relate to one another in the church. And we see that at the outset of this section here in verses uh, 12 and 13. Here the Apostle Paul says, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. He says specifically to respect those. Um, I have to admit, this is a very delicate topic for me to speak on, right? Um, Here I am as your pastor telling you to respect me. That just feels off, feels awkward. And on the one hand, it's really not hard to find news about pastors and elders abusing their flocks. You don't have to go very far in news around the churches, around the country, around the world to see abuse by elders and pastors 
to their congregation. In fact, this was a complaint made against the, the, the elders and priests of the Old Testament. We read about it in the prophets, how they abused the sheep that they were meant to care for. Now, as one of the elders called to oversee the flock here at CCPC, I recognize that even today, as I, I minister to you, some of you may have been wounded in the past. You may still carry those wounds from other pastors and elders and other churches. And I know that it is my duty to care for you in such a way that exhibits Christ's gentleness, humility, patience, and love. And in fact, I and the other elders are going to be held accountable before God for that. We have a responsibility to you in that. But on the other hand, if you are a member here, you have willingly placed yourself under authority. And you've done that for your own good. As we go through the membership class in the coming weeks, this is going to be an important topic. The very last vow of our membership vow says, do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church, and do you promise to strive for, study the, the, the peace and purity of the church? But in that vow, you are willingly saying, I need to be under authority for my good. And what does that mean? Well, as you sit under authority, what, what you're actually doing right now is you, all of you, who, even if you're um, not a member here necessarily, you are being ministered to by the word. And in some way, we call this discipline. You know, oftentimes we think of discipline in a very negative sense. But those of you who have trained for anything, if you've run a marathon, understand the nature of discipline. You discipline your body. As you sit under the ministry of the word as your pastor, I am bringing discipline in the best sense of the word. I'm feeding you. I'm nourishing you. I'm bringing God's word to bear on your hearts and souls so that you might grow. I'm caring for you. It's my duty to you. And therefore, Paul says, respect those who labor among you and are over you and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love, not because of their person. You might find me a little obnoxious. That's okay. It's not about me. It's not about me at all. Not because of my person, but because of the work that I do to bring God's word to you. Week in and week out. Why? To protect you, care for you, feed you, nourish you, help you. And it's not just me, the other elders as well. And why? Why all of that? Because not only does it bring peace within the body as we sit under the word, but as the word is ministered and as you heed the word, you actually enjoy the peace of God. Think about Psalm 23. In Psalm 23, we have that picture of the good shepherd. The good shepherd does what? He brings those sheep into green pastures and by quiet waters. He restores souls. He protects them as they go through dangerous places, as they even go through the valley of the shadow of death. He prepares a table before them in the presence of their enemy. He provides all that they need. In a sense, 
I am not the good shepherd. I am a shepherd, under shepherd of Jesus Christ. But yet that's my goal, to bring you into a place of God's peace and rest, that you might be nourished. So, press on in peace. In, in, and, you know, I, I, I put down here an illustration of sort of church discipline and how it goes awry, but you, I don't need to go there. I don't need to talk about it. I just want to encourage you. It's easy to do. It's easy to sit under ministry when things are going well. But when things are breaking down in your life, and maybe you're wandering off that path, and the elders come to you and say, hey, danger, warning, come back. You have a moment there where you say, who are you to tell me what to do? And I want to encourage you, what we're doing, our goal is to bring you into that place of peace and rest. To not despise those in authority over you, but recognize that we're there to encourage you. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. That's a weighty thing as an elder to read. I get, I tremble. I think Bill mentioned that uh, on Wednesday night, that it causes him to shake. He reads those words as an elder. I have to give an account. But then it goes on and it says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. It's not about me. It's not about me at all. It's about you. It's to your advantage. But Paul calls us not only to be at peace with those in spiritual authority over us, but we are also called to be at peace with one another. He says, be at peace here. It says, uh, and to esteem, be at peace among yourselves. As I noted before, the application of this is so diverse that everything else that he says here can be an application of this. Um, But I I want to make a caveat here about what peace looks like. I'm not going to spend much time on this point. I think you understand that you ought to be at peace with one another. Um, And there are lots of ways to apply that. But I want to make a caveat. Peace at the cost of truth isn't peace. You've probably been uh, around or maybe in a dysfunctional family that just maintains peace. But shoves everything under the rug. That's not peace. Right? That's... That is a, that is a uh, uh, you might say, a, um, uh, a ceasefire, you know, a, a point at which there's no visible uh, com, com, uh, confrontation, but there is still all that underlying discord. We are called to speak the truth in love to one another. And I often say this, as we come together, we have to fight for peace. That, that sounds ironic, but what I mean by that is we have to work together, strive together, come together, and wrestle with difficult matters together, not against one another, but with one another. Be at peace. Press on in peace. Be at peace amongst yourself. We not only press on in peace, but we press on in doing good. Apostle Paul moves to a list here, and he says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays 
anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good so that, uh, to one another and to everyone. And we'll just take each of these in, 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 in order here. I just lump these together and say this is pressing on to do good. So we've talked about pressing on in peace by putting ourselves under authority and, and coming together in peace. Now I'm talking about pressing on in what we do. The first is admonish the idol. You remember in First Thessalonians, one of the issues was there was a group that were uh, very excited. They thought the Lord Jesus was going to come again very shortly, and they thought, I don't have to do, the, do anything. I would just have to sit here and wait for the coming of Jesus. And in doing so, it seems that some of them became what we might call busybodies. They became uh, a, a problem within the body because they had all this time on their hand to go around becoming busybodies, getting into other people's business and making problems around them. Uh, one translation of the word uh, here for idol could be unruly. Uh, they became unruly. Maybe related folks in the church who are making mischief for the elders, as we just saw. He calls them to put yourself under authority. So maybe part of the problem was they were, they were causing mischief uh, for the elders. Maybe they were even teaching this false doctrine about the second coming. They were causing problems. So this is what was going on with regard to Thessalon- the Thessalonian church, as far as we're able to tell. But I think the Apostle Paul is encouraging us, speak the truth in love. This is what it means to do good for one another. In this case, admonish the idol. But there could be many other things that we're called to, to speak the truth in love. And I I just want to say that I think this is one of the hardest things that we do in the church. Because no one likes being told what to do. And I would say... Maybe that's especially true in our modern Western world. And so we usually, we see something going on in the life of our brother or sister, and we usually just say, well, that's their life. I'm just going to let it be. I don't want to get mess. I don't want to get involved. I don't want to, you know, who am I? I'm a messy sinner too. I don't want to speak anything into their life. And, and so we just don't say anything at all. The Apostle Paul here says, admonish those who are doing things that are wrong. Admonish the idol. The problem is we don't usually say anything until we do. Right? It gets to that boiling point where you're just like, now it's a personal attack. We come at somebody and we attack them for what they're doing. And we forget all about the love part. We're supposed to admonish people so that we might bring them back in care for them and see what they're doing as harmful, not them as harmful. We often get that confused. We attack the person rather than showing the person who their behavior is detrimental to or to themselves and to one another. Instead, we we flip it. Speak the truth in love to one another. Admonish the idol. Encourage the faint-hearted. I think it's really easy uh, uh, to get faint-hearted in the Christian life. I get faint-hearted. I think we all do. And I want to come back to this at the end as we wrap up this sermon. Um, but I just want to, um, to, to dwell on one thing for just a minute. 
Uh, it's likely that the Thessalonian church was discouraged by the hardship and trials that they faced. There might have been people particularly who were facing particular trials that were getting discouraged. That's why Paul sent Timothy to encourage them. Um, and, and the one point I want to make here is you consider what it means to encourage the faint-hearted, that the Christian faith is not a solitary affair. We need each other, not just an admonishment, but to come alongside us in encouragement. We, when we look at the Bible, when it talks about the church, um, it sometimes addresses individuals. It'll talk about individual faith, but more often than not, it talks about the body as a whole. It talks about it being the church, the gathered body. It talks about it being a bride, being perfected and beautified. It talks about it being a body, all the parts working together. It talks about it being a building, being constructed and built up together. It talks about it being a temple, the place of the dwelling place of God with his people. It talks about it being a flock, sheep wandering and straying and coming back, weak and needy. Encourage the faint-hearted. We are together. It's not a solitary affair. Help the weak. This is similar to the faint-hearted, but I think broader. We can be weak in so many ways, can't we? We can be physically weak. We can be emotionally weak. We can be spiritually weak. I think probably Paul's talking here about spiritual weakness. Those who are maybe young in the faith. And we're called to come alongside those who are weak, and we're called to help. Again, we're the body. One commentator said something really helpful on this little note about helping the weak. He said, the imagery of help is not that of holding up what is ready to fall down. We can think of help kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm going to hold it up. Rather, the verb is one in which is used to talk about holding on to. So when we think about helping somebody, he goes on and he says, Though it's good for weak souls to know that there are others who are with them, who cleave to them. When we think about helping somebody, we can often say, I'm going to give a helping hand. But the Apostle Paul is saying, more than that, he's saying we're going to, we're going to hold one another tight. Give them strength. Encouraging them. And that's a question for us. Do we hold on to one another? Do we hold on to one another? Apostle Paul goes on. He says, help uh, those in need. Help the weak. And then he says, be patient with all. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I need to describe what patience is. We all know what it is because we all struggle <laughs> with it uh, in, in different ways. Um, he says, be patient with all. Notice it doesn't say be patient with some but with all. Be patient with those who are immature or young in the faith. Be patient with those who are difficult or their personalities are abrasive. Be patient with those who drop balls. Be patient with those who are not always thoughtful. Be patient with those with whom you disagree. Be patient with those who misspeak or say things that Be patient with those who sin against you and who wrong you. Be patient with those who do it again. 
Paul says it this way. He goes one step far further. He says, don't repay evil with evil, but do good to one another and to everyone. I think this is the hardest statement he makes in here. Because when somebody does something to us, our impulse is not, oh, I want to be nice and good to you. My impulse is, I want justice. I want recompense. I want revenge. I want to show them that I'm in the right and they're in the wrong. That's how we are. Our nature. Uh, if you go back to the Old Testament, uh, at the very beginning in Genesis um, uh, chapter 4, you get this litany of uh, the sons of Cain. And they outdo each other in, in revenge, in vengeance. But of course, those are sort of the sons of, of the wicked Cain who continue the line of vengeance. But the Lord is the one who is our avenger. We are not. So when evil is done to us, the apostle says, don't repay evil with evil, but do good to one another and to everyone. Everyone. But isn't this the way of Christ? Isn't this the way of Christ? who when reviled didn't revile in return, but rather willingly suffered and died that he might forgive. This is why in the Lord's Prayer it ends, it says, you know, Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and then lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. But then after the prayer it says, for those who don't forgive won't be forgiven point is not that if you struggle with forgiving somebody, the Lord won't forgive you. The point is, if that's your nature, if you're somebody who takes offense, holds on to that offense, and repays evil with evil, then the love of God is not there. This is the nature of the gospel, that when Christ was reviled, he laid down his life for us. Press on in doing good. Then next, press on in God. Um, this is, this is going to be, these next two are going to be somewhat briefer. Uh, I wanted to spend a little bit of time on that section with, with what it looks like to, to, to be, um, be patient and not repay evil with evil. But press on in God. Uh, the Apostle Paul goes on and he says, rejoice in the Lord or rejoice always. And then he says, pray without ceasing, and then he says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always. This is very Pauline, isn't it? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. If you go to the book of Philippians, his letter to the Philippians, uh, that is a theme that he often comes back to. And I often think, what an impossible task. How do we rejoice always? I don't even understand because so much of life is full of hardship and heartache and pain. And so I'm often prone to sorrow and sadness. I don't think the Apostle Paul is saying don't grieve. He talks about grief earlier in Thessalonians. And he says don't grieve as the world grieves. Right? We grieve with hope. And so when the Apostle Paul here says rejoice always, what I think he's saying is that as you go about life, as you face the various circumstances and trials that you're facing, what you need to do is gain perspective. And the way we do that is to press on in God. We look 
to who God is, what he's doing, how he loves us, and how he's coming again and is going to bring us home to glory. So Paul's saying, despite whatever circumstance you find yourself in, rejoice. This is for a little while. Whatever suffering you're facing is for a little while. Look to God. Press in. and Press on in God. Then he goes on and he says, pray without ceasing. Now, that is one of those commands, like rejoice always, where it feels like an impossible thing. We have a lot of things going on in our life. How do you pray without ceasing? Well, I don't think it's endless praying. Some of the monks would do this. They would escape life, go live in a cave, go live on a pole, go live in a, mon- in a monastery, and they would pray all day long, all night long, and escape from the world that they lived in. I don't think that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. When it says here, pray without ceasing, he's not talking about endless praying, but no end to our praying. Right? So instead of praying all the time, which is not possible if we want to live in this world, what he's saying is our lives ought to be shaped and marked by a life of prayer as we depend on the living God for all that we have. We press on in him. And this is actually what drives our joy, right? As we come to the Lord, Lord, I'm helpless in this situation. I need your help. Come and and deliver me. And seeing the hand of God at work in our life and going back to him in prayer and saying, thank you, Lord, for the way that you have provided for all my needs. Pray without ceasing. Not endless praying, but no end to our praying. Dependence on God. And then here, third, press on in God by giving thanks in all circumstances. This is similar to joy, and I love how prayer is sandwiched right in between them. So so as we consider what it means to press on in God, we have this picture of rejoicing always and giving thanks, and right in the middle is the way that we're able to do this is by prayer. By putting ourselves, Lord, Fill my heart with joy and thanksgiving. Help me to see what you are doing. Give thanks in all circumstances. And the more we see God, the more we recognize who he is, the more we see what he's done, the more our hearts will be full of thanks. Press on in God. Finally, press on in the word. This may be the most challenging aspect of this whole text because it brings up a lot of questions. It says, "Don't quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil." Do not quench the spirit. I, I, if you have come through a more charismatic uh, church background, you may have read a passage like this and think It's specifically dealing with not quenching that emotional, experiential work that the Spirit does in our hearts. When we're enlivened and and maybe we express our, 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 our love and joy in various ways through spiritual gifts. Maybe things like speaking in tongues, prophetic words. And this is a big topic, and I don't have time to go into great detail on this. But I want to I encourage you on two things. One is, I do think the Apostle Paul is addressing the New Testament church in which, this is one of his earliest letters, in which the, the New Testament is still in process being formed. In fact, 
They don't even have the Gospels written yet. And so the apostles are going out into the world, and they're going out to these cities and towns across Greece and Rome. And as they go out, they're bringing the Word of God, they're bringing the Gospel, they're preaching it. And God, is, by His Spirit, is bringing signs and wonders through prophecies and through speaking in tongues as as signs that this word that the apostles are preaching is indeed the word of God. It's confirmative work. Here comes the word. It comes with power. And this was common in the Old Testament. You see the prophecies. They come and they come with a sign of power, saying this is confirmed as the word of God. So I think the apostle Paul is addressing that, but he's saying as you, as you hear the word preached, don't quench the spirit by, by ignoring the word. Don't despise the prophecies by ignoring the word, but heed them. Okay, so I believe that after the apostolic age, what we have here is the word of God in its form, in its final form, and that there's no new revelation, but this is what we have, what the, the Lord has provided. And in that sense, we no longer have that, those gross manifestations uh, of, the, of the power of the Spirit in the same way. I'm not saying the Spirit can't work in miraculous ways. I'm not suggesting that. But I'm suggesting that this is the Word of God. And we have no other word. Right? So how do we apply this text then? Don't quench the Spirit. Well, what is the main emphasis of the Spirit? What does the Spirit do for us? It convicts us, comforts us, applies God's Word to our hearts, points us to Jesus, reminds us of who we are, gives us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all that fruit of the Spirit. And how does the Spirit do that? He does it through the means of grace. What is that? The ministry of the word. So as you come under the word, and you hear the prophets, and you hear the apostles, and you hear the Lord Jesus speak to you, don't quench the spirit by saying, I don't need it. I hear it, but I don't don't care about it. Heed the word of the Lord. Turn to it. Trust in it. If you have more questions about that, please see me afterward. And of course, the summary of this is abstain from every form of evil. As we adhere to the word of God, living under the word, reading the word, applying the word, letting the spirit do the work in our hearts, in transforming our lives, we will then abstain from evil. The more we say no to the word, the more we press on towards the things that we want. Abstain from evil. All right, I'm gonna, I want to end uh, in this hope because I feel as though what I've just given you is a huge litany of things, a list, so to speak, from the Apostle Paul, from the Lord Jesus. And I think if we don't recognize that our hope is in God, we will quench the Spirit and not listen to the Word because it overwhelms us. It's a challenge. But Paul reminds us of the gospel hope. Notice this prayer slash blessing here in verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace 
himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Friends, if you're like me, you're often crushed by the word. Feel overwhelmed and disheartened and discouraged. And you need someone to come alongside you and give you that word of encouragement and remind you of this hope. Well, this is what the Apostle Paul gives us here. He gives us hope. And there's hope for each thing. I said, press on in peace. Well, we can press on in peace because God is the God of peace. He's the God of peace. And he gives us peace with each other. He helps us bind, binds us together in love. But not only that, he gives us ultimate peace. He reconciles us through the blood of his son and says, you are no longer my enemy. You are my friend. In fact, you are my son, in whom I'm well pleased. You have peace with God through the love of Jesus. God is a God of peace. And it's God who sanctifies. We can press on in doing good because God is good. And he does a work in us. We can admonish and encourage and help because the Lord himself has admonished us and encouraged us and helped us. We can be patient because God is patient with us. We can repay evil with good because Christ has done it for us. We can press on in doing good. And we can press on in, um, in, in coming to know God. We can press on because he is our cause for joy. Right? So we rejoice because we have salvation in him. We can cry out to him in prayer because he hears us and listens to us. And we can give thanks to him because our whole person is being transformed and conformed by him. This is the good news he says here. He says, may your whole spirit and soul and body. In other words, may your whole person be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can have confidence of this because Jesus has accomplished it for us. God's word is sure. He is faithful. He will surely do this. I understand that pressing on is hard. In fact, Paul himself understands pressing on is hard. He says, brothers, pray for us as we press on. The great apostle Paul needed prayer. Not only that, but Paul says, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. Why? Because all the churches needed this good news and hope that he who calls is faithful. Pressing on is hard. And we need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded of how to press on, but we also need to be reminded of how we're able to press on. We can press on in faith, hope, and love because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which comes to us through Jesus. Friends, I encourage you, don't lose heart. Press on 
for our faithful God is bringing us home. Let's pray.